Think about your life. Every day you wake up and fight to live in freedom and against fear. But Christ has already won the battle for our freedom. We didn't earn it. The battle was won when Jesus died on the cross. We don't deserve it. He gives us grace because of his great love for us. And our freedom was secured when Christ rose from the dead. The grace of God gives us freedom. Freedom from sin, freedom to live the life he calls us to. We aren't saved by trying harder. We aren't saved by trying to be good. Only Jesus can save us and set us free. So enjoy God's gift of grace in your life. Be at peace and live in freedom. Well, God is so good, isn't he? We've had a great time of worship this morning. I also want to make this statement. I'm very proud of our Houston Astros, and I wanted to say that to you today. We have coming up a week from tonight, our missions banquet that we do every year. We have a guy coming named Nick Ripken, and you will never forget the story, the personal story he's going to be telling you of the persecution that they have experienced. You will love this guy, and you will be blessed by him. You need to come and be a part of the banquet. It gives you a chance to really see what we're doing in missions and gives you, though you won't see everything because it's just not possible to see everything because our ministry is so broad and is so deep, but it'll give you a chance to see some of the things that we're doing, that you're doing, that you are a part of by coming to this banquet. Now, there, you have to get tickets, and we used to, we have sold tickets in the past out in the commons area, but we're not doing that this time. We're try, trying something different. The tickets can only be bought online. Now, you've, many of you already have a church app, Sugar Creek app, and if you don't have it, you ought to get it. And in this app, if you just open the app up and go to the homepage, there it is. It's the first thing. It's called, Is Jesus Worth It? And you can actually buy your tickets. You can even choose which table you're on using this app. Also, if you don't want to do the app or don't have the app, you can go online, sugarcreek.net, and go click uh, Sugarland Campus, and it's in the banner, that roving banner kind of thing. You'll see it. It's Jesus Worth It. It's the missions banquet. You need to get a ticket, and you need to come. It will be a great blessing for you. In the latter part of the 1930s, an early part of the 1940s, Nazi Germany began to devastate and encompass country after country after country. It is the most diabolical evil maybe that has ever been in the history of mankind. And by its doctrine, it caused the slaughter of millions of people. They would go into a country and they would wipe people out by the hundreds of thousands and even to the millions. Six million Jewish people were slaughtered for no other reason but they are, that they are Jews by Nazi Germany in the worst form of torture you can ever imagine. 
One of the countries that was devastated by Nazi Germany was Greece. Paratroopers came in to Crete, one of the islands of Greece, and parachuted on to Crete. And when they did, they began to go from village to village, just wiping out people by the thousands, killing people right and left. And those they didn't kill, they took to a concentration camp for the hope of killing them, but first using them for their own devices. There was a young boy named Alexander Papadaris who was taken into a concentration camp at six years old. Before that happened, he was walking down a road. He saw a, one of the German motorcycles that had been destroyed, and the mirror had been broken, and he reached down and grabbed a part of that mirror, and it had a few shards on it, and he would get rid of those with time, but he then put it in his pocket. The Nazis killed his mother and father, killed his siblings, and they took him six years of age to a concentration camp. They didn't frisk him, and so they didn't know that there was that piece of a mirror that was in his pocket. It was the only toy he had. It was the only possession that he owned, that little piece of mirror. He took that piece of mirror, and he used a rock, and he shaved off all of the rough endings and the sharp endings, and, and he made it so it made it safe, and he, he used it as a toy. And oftentimes, he would reflect the sun uh, onto some deep crevice, dark crevice or dark hole, and he played with that mirror. It was the only thing that he had. Well, he outlived the Nazi prison camp, outlived the war. And when the war was over, he was adopted by a family to come to be a part of, of their family, and he did. And then as he grew to be an adult, he came to know Jesus Christ as his Savior. And he actually became a theologian in the Greek Orthodox Church. This is a picture of the grown-up uh, Alexander. Alexander uh, began to to concentrate all of his life in ministry and helping people overcome the hate and the bitterness and the pain that they had experienced because of the occupation of the Nazis. And one day as he is addressing a group of people, someone raised their hand and he asked them, yes, and uh, what, what is your question? And the person said, what is the meaning of life? And he pulled out his mirror he saved it. In fact, he carried it every day of his adult life in his pocket as a reminder of what had happened to his parents, his family, a reminder of what had taken place in his life and a reminder of how God had rescued him. And he made this statement, and I'm simply going to repeat to read what he said. He said, I am a fragment of a mirror whose whole design and shape I do not yet know. Nevertheless, with what I have, I can reflect light into the dark places of this world, into the dark places in the hearts of men and women, and change some things in some people. And perhaps others may see and do likewise. This is what life is about. 
And in the context of a statement, Papadaris was saying that Jesus is that light that changes people's life. The truth is, every single one of us, before we came to know Christ as our Savior, were broken pieces of mirror in brokenness and lostness in our lives. The Bible says that we were actually enemies of God, estranged to God, but God, in His grace, in His love for us, in His grace for us, with nothing of value in us and nothing that we could give back to Him that would be worth any of it, God, in His grace and by His grace alone, sent His Son to die on a cross to pay the penalty for our sin and to rescue us from our lostness. Why do we sing about the blood of Jesus Christ? This is why we sing of it, because His blood has changed our destiny. And God intends to then change the outcome of our life, to make us more like Christ. And that is what I want to talk to you about today. We are in the book of Galatians, going passage by passage to the book of Galatians. We have two more messages after today in chapter 6, two of the most powerful passages of Scripture that any church could ever, ever uh, go through. And, and I'm so excited about what's going to happen in the next two messages. We've talked a great deal as we've gone through the book of Galatians, what God has saved us from. But now, this morning, I want to talk to you about what God has saved us to. He has saved us to change us, to make us like His Son. God loves us just like we are, but He loves us too much to keep us as we are. He loves us. He loves you. He knows what you've been through. He knows what's coming in your life. He knows the mistakes that we have made and the sins of our life and the, and the disappointment that we will someday be in light of the goodness of God. But no matter what, He loves us. And his greatest desire in our life is to change us. The evidence that Christ is in you is the change he is forming inside of you. Our church talks a great deal about this change. In fact, at the end of every service, we, we quote together our purpose statement. And would you say it with me? Our purpose is to love and lead all people to life change in Christ. We talk a great deal about this idea of life change. Why? Because it is God's greatest desire. It is His greatest purpose in us to change us from the inside out. We didn't make this up. We got it right out of God's Word. Listen to what Paul says in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 19. My dear children, from whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Paul is saying, I experience pain every day. Just hoping for and waiting for that Christ will be formed in you. You see, God didn't just want us 
to believe in Jesus. He wanted us to be changed to be like Jesus in our life. This is exactly what the Bible is saying in Romans chapter 8 and verse 29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that Christ may be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters, the passage means. So, what is he saying? Well, there's a lot in this verse, I'm telling you, in this whole section, this whole passage. There, we could spend an entire time together in this, and one day we will, but let me just suffice to say this. What he is telling us in the verse is that God, once we come to know Jesus Christ as Savior, God predetermined in such a way that it cannot be altered. That's what the word predestined means. That God predetermined in such a way that it cannot be altered. That one day, you and I will be just like Jesus Christ. Wives, look at your husband. They, there's hope for him. There is hope for him. One day, we will be just like Jesus Christ. God changes our behavior by first changing our nature. By nature, I mean who we are on the inside. God changes our behavior by first changing our nature. Now, Paul, in this passage of Scripture, presents to us an amazing contrast. On the one hand, there is brokenness and misery and darkness, and on the other hand, there is wholeness and healing and light. And God is as though holding out both hands and saying, which one? Which one do you want for your life? Do you, do you want brokenness? Do you want misery in your life? Do, do you want darkness or do you want the light of God? Do you, do you want wholeness in your life and healing in your life? And so he puts together these two options in deep contrast to each other. The first one is found in Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 to 21. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. Idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions and factions and envy, drunkenness and orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. He is saying that living in these ways, with no conviction of right and wrong, no repentance, no change of heart, no remorse over our sin, when we live this way, we cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So what did he mean by that? What does he mean that we cannot inherit the kingdom of God? Now, this is not an answer in its entirety, but, but impartial. It means that these sins will steal from us what God intended for us to experience in our lives. They will steal from us the relationship we could have with God. 
They will rob us of our marriage. They will destroy the respect of others. They will leave us in a position of weakness and wound. It means that we will never know the positive impact of making Jesus Christ the Lord of our life. It is as though we are saying to God, I do not want the life that you promised that I could have. The acts of the flesh will never give you what they promise. They will only give broken relationships and disrespect and disease and disappointment and loneliness. They will always leave you with more misery than pleasure. There is pleasure in sin. But it's just for a moment and then it's gone. But what happens is with it comes a misery, a broken relationship, disrespect, and disappointment, and loneliness. And God says to us, don't go this way. Don't choose this life. It will be a living death. Over the last several weeks and months, I suppose, I really haven't charted the time, I've I've done some reading of, and even watched some shows of sort of biographies of movie stars, we call them, who are very successful, individuals that I have enjoyed watching perform in movies. And what it has done is peel back the fame and the the money, and all of the glamour that we see in their lives and what we imagine could be just the most wonderful life that a person could live. And they pull back the facade, and it is shocking. It's shocking. The misery, the brokenness, the addictions in their life that have taken over their lives. And the total control that has been stripped from them. But it's not just movie stars. It's people that we would consider maybe successful business men and women or maybe successful individuals in some field of, of business or some, some other field of occupation. And they have acquired so much and they've got so much fame and maybe and so much money. And, but when you pull away the facade, it is amazing the brokenness and the addictions of their life. But not even just them. I mean people that we live next door to. Maybe people that you work with. When you pull away the facade of their life and see what's really happening. And the misery and the brokenness. And this is what God is saying. You head in this direction. And it will strip you of your dignity. It will strip you of everything that God intended for your life. On one hand is the lostness and the brokenness and the darkness. On the other hand is the light and and the healing and the wholeness. And he describes it in Galatians chapter 5 verse 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
And if you think about it, every one of these characteristics are characteristics of the nature of Jesus. If there was any human being that has ever lived who epitomized these things, it was Jesus Christ. So, who wouldn't want to have a deeper sense of love in their life? Who would not want to have more joy in their life. Oh no, God, I do not want more love. Please, no more love. I do not want joy. I love misery, God. I don't want that. There's none of us that would say something like that. And how about the peace? Peace inside and peace with God and peace with others and patience that is beyond our ability, that that the Holy Spirit in control of us exudes out of our life. And, and how about the self-control and the kindness and the, the goodness and the, and the gentleness and the faithfulness? All these things are one thing. They are the product, the fruit of the Holy Spirit being in charge of our life. I'm going to tell you every single one of these are the epitome of what we consider people who have their life together. What our soul cries out for, genuine contentment in life, are these things. And God is saying, these are the things that I want to give to you through my Holy Spirit. Notice that the first list is mostly actions. They were plural in nature because we can pick and choose our sins. But the second list is a Christ-like attitude of a changed heart that are all together called the fruit of the Spirit, the result of the Holy Spirit's work in our life. You can't get this through trying harder. We've done that. Every one of us in this room have tried harder to do good things. But it has simply not come together. And there is a sense, I think, in some in the room, maybe, I'll never know this. I will never experience this in my life. The power for change comes from the Holy Spirit. God, when He saves us, doesn't leave us to our own. He doesn't leave us to change ourselves. He has given us His own Spirit. And this is why the Bible says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, so I say, walk in the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. As you are walking in the Spirit, there will be such a change that happens inside of you. There will be a transformation that begins to happen inside of you, that even the desires to go the other direction began to to fall off of you, began to walk from you. You will become like Christ through walking in the Spirit. God did not say try harder. Why? Because transformation doesn't come from our determination, our our self-will. It can only happen by making the Holy Spirit the pilot of your life. So imagine, maybe before 9-11 and when you, there weren't all the bars on the door that goes into where the pilots are and you are 30,000 feet up in the air and you're flying, and about halfway to wherever, you decide, I don't think he's doing a good job. And you knock on the door, please move over. I now am going to fly the airplane. Or maybe you are in a surgery, 
And maybe it's the middle of the surgery and the surgeon has cut you open and horror of horrors happens and you wake up. Ooh, that would not be good. But you decide, you say to the surgeon, you know what? I don't like the way you are rearranging my organs. Give me the knife. I will take it from here. Nobody would do these things because we understand that there are people who know what they're doing who are in charge. And God is saying, I know what I'm doing. I'm the one that created you. If there's anybody that knows how to live a great life, it's me. Let me be in charge. Let me be the pilot of your life. I want to teach you how to walk by the Spirit. This is what God is saying to us. So how do we do that? How do we walk by the Spirit? First of all, we walk by the Spirit by deciding that we love God and we truly want to please Him. Jesus said the greatest of all the commandments, the greatest thing that anything anyone could ever accomplish is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind. It is the greatest thing that you could ever accomplish in your life is to love God with all your heart. Love is not a feeling. Love is a decision. Now, with love, with the decision of love, there are sometimes feelings, oftentimes feelings, but there are also also times there's no feelings, but there's still love, even though there's no feelings because love is a decision. I make the decision to love you, to make a decision to love God. Sometimes there are great feelings of euphoria, and other times there's no feelings at all. God, where are you? But love is not a feeling. Love is a decision. And Jesus is really saying to us to get anywhere, to be a a part of anything that God intended for your life. It begins with this. First, make the decision to love God. God, I choose you, and I choose to love you with a whole heart. Second of all, we walk in the Spirit when we habitually take in God's Word. Jesus said it this way in John chapter 15, verse 7 and 8. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, you can ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit showing that you're my disciples. And this whole idea of bearing much fruit is simply the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, kindness, the fruit of the Spirit. And God is saying, you will have these things begin to happen in your life as you take my word and you plant my word in your heart. So let me stop for a second and ask some questions. First of all, how many of you in this room are married? Would you raise your hand? Okay. All right. You're married. How many of you have been married? Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Would you keep your hands up? You're married. Okay. Now, how many of you have been married for five years or more? Keep your hands up. How many of you have been married for 10 years or more? Would you keep your hands up? How many of you have been married for 30 years or more? Keep your hands up. How many of you have been married for 50 years? Would you stand up? 
right now. Married for 50 years or more. Wow. See, what happens, what happens to a couple that have been married a long time? Maybe it's 30 years, maybe it's 50 years, however long it is. What happens to a couple when, who have been married a long time is that they can complete each other's sentences accurately. They get the other person's joke, even if it's not funny, because they know that person, and they get the joke. You have walked together so long. You have been with each other so long. You've shared so many experiences for so long. You've been in the ups and downs. You've been in the struggles and the pain and the hurts and the wounds and the great euphoric times of life. You have shared these days with each other, and now you know each other. This is the difference between a religion and a relationship with God. It's where we truly come to know God because we have spent time with God. And Jesus is saying, stay close to me. Don't live by a list of rules and regulations and rituals. Instead, live by a relationship with God. And the relationship is nurtured as you talk to each other, as you share life with each other. As you take in the Word of God, you are hearing the voice of God. As you pray, you are speaking to God and still hearing the voice of God as God. And you have communion with each other. And Jesus is saying, how do you live by the Spirit, in the Spirit? You do it through the Word of God, bringing it into your heart. Day after day after day after day, knowing Him, coming to know Him. What happens is is that you come to know the mind of God. You come to know the heart of God. You begin to understand which direction is the direction of God versus which direction is the direction away from God. The more you bring His Word in, the more you know His heart. Look, if a person every single day of their life read Shakespeare, I mean for years and decades, just every day, read Shakespeare, after a while when you are around them, they're quoting Shakespeare. They're even sounding like Shakespeare probably must have sounded. Because they are immersing their life in Shakespeare. And God is saying, I want you to do that with my word. And every day, every day, every day, every day, you are reading God's word. You say, well, I don't think I'm really growing that much. There's so much I don't understand. I don't know. It's okay. You keep doing it. You keep going. And the more you bring into the word of God, something begins to happen in you. You start changing. You begin to know the heart of God. You begin to speak God's word because it's in you. How do you walk in the Spirit? You walk in the Spirit by deciding, God, I choose you. I 
choose to love you. And I bring your word into my heart. And third, we walk in the Spirit when we yield control to obey God's word. We began to read. As we're reading God's word, he's telling us more and more. And we choose to yield control to obey God's word. Galatians 5, 17, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. You probably have heard this in television shows and movies, and someone's grappling with, okay, I don't know which direction to go. I don't know what to do. And the person says, oh, just follow your heart. Just follow your heart. This is what they always say in all these movies. Just follow your heart. And it's like, oh, this is wonderful. This is great. The problem is, is that oftentimes our hearts are wrong. Listen to what the Bible says in Jeremiah chapter chapter 17, verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Don't follow your heart. And God is saying, don't follow your heart. Follow Jesus. And what happens is, is that the more you bring the Word of God in your heart and you obey, you yield yourself, the more of the fruit of the Spirit begins to grow in your heart. Remember last week when we were talking about, uh, about the passage just before this and we were talking about the, that God wants to build this in our, in our life. And I said, I came across a verse in Romans chapter 5, verse 5, in a quiet time one day that I desperately needed. And it changed my understanding because in Romans chapter 5, verse 5, it says that when we give our heart to Christ, we accept Jesus as our Savior, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. And you remember that He pours the love of God into us. And it came, it, it, it clicked for me. I don't need to pray for more love. I got all the love I'll ever need. Already resident in me. He's already poured the love of God in me. And there are sometimes what I got to do is just get out of the way and let God love the other person using me as a funnel, using my life to do it. The same is true about joy. The same is true about patience. Oh, my soul, God, I cannot ever have enough patience to deal with this. Oh, but you have already had the patience of God poured in you when the Holy Spirit came to live inside of you. Get out of the way. And let God do what God would want to do. This is, I don't feel this. I am feeling very impatient. But God, in his patience, I am yielding myself to you. I am not feeling it but I'm yielding. And what happens is he begins over time changing us. The key to walking in the Spirit is yielding, is yielding to the Word of God. Fourth, we walk in the Spirit when we see every aspect of life, good and not so good, as a part of our transformation. Every aspect of life Good and not so good as a part of our transformation. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that in all things, he didn't say some. He didn't say the good stuff. He said, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Who have been called according to his purpose. God uses the good and not so good times. 
like heavenly sandpaper in our life. I know I've shared this with you, but it just, I, I just feel like I need to share it again. My dad passed away three years ago, and, and a year before he passed away, uh, he had uh, pain every day. There wasn't a day he didn't have pain. They gave him pain medicine, but they couldn't give him enough pain medicine to get rid of the pain because it would damage him. And so he had to live with the pain, and it was every day. It was every minute of every day. And, and a year before he died, my dad and I were talking about it. And look, he was a pastor, but pastors are people. And sometimes, no matter who we are, we face things in our life that we need someone to remind us of what we already know. And as we started this conversation that he initiated, he said to me, Mark, I, it weighs on me every day and I, I just feel pain all the time and I don't understand how this could possibly be part of the will of God in my life. It was pretty tough going through that discussion. But as it would happen, I'd had a quiet time in uh, Hebrews chapter 5 and, and verse 8. And uh, th- there's a whole, the whole passage, it's, it's not just one verse it's a whole passage that arrested me as I was going through my quiet time. And I, 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 you know, I'd read it, I don't know how many times, but sometimes you read something and you don't read it. You know what I'm saying? It, it, doesn't, it doesn't grab hold of you. But as I was in my quiet time, I think God was getting me ready for that conversation. And, and, and that passage of Scripture jumped out for me, and I began to tr- try to figure out because there were things about Jesus now I did not understand before, and I started pouring into that passage of Scripture. But that verse, verse 5, and I said to Dad, we, I said that this was a passage of Scripture God brought to my attention, and let me just bring it to yours. And We read the passage, and in verse 5, chapter 5, he says, and Jesus learned obedience through suffering. And it is describing the last hours of his life. And there was a whole lot of stuff. I I had not really grasped about Jesus, and Jesus learned obedience through suffering. So we read it together, and my dad got quiet for a little while, and, I, and he said to me, if Jesus saw suffering as a way to learn obedience, then I will too. And my dad that day took on his pain as a badge of honor. 
He never complained about it again. One year, never complained about it again. I'd ask him about it. He would say to me, the pain's still there, nothing's changed. But something changed in him. He saw suffering as a heavenly sandpaper, as a way to deepen his walk with God. If we can see the things that we experience in our life as a part of God using them, as a part of our transformation, this is walking in the Spirit. And here's the last thing, becoming like Jesus is a lifelong process. It's, it, it doesn't just happen overnight, 2 Corinthians 3.18, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And he's just simply saying, all our lives, it is a process. It is a continual process of transformation all of our life. And so what I want to say to you is be patient with yourself. Be patient with yourself. Be patient with others because God's not finished with you yet. You're not a complete, a complete picture yet. Just keep yielding. Just keep yielding. Be patient. God's not finished with you yet. But there is a day that is coming which he will. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, dear friends, we are already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like him. We will be like Jesus, for we will see him as he really is. And I've got to tell you, one day when we leave this body and we go into the presence of Jesus Christ and we see him, I'm telling you, it is completed. It's completed. So listen, this is going to happen. There, the full, fullness of the, tra- of the transformation is going to happen Stay faithful, keep walking with God, love Him, take His Word in, obey it. Allow anything that happens in your life to be a part of the transformation of your life, and it will happen. In the in-between time, be a mirror of the light of Jesus Christ to others in the darkness of their life. Be a mirror that God uses to touch the lives of others. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you, Father, for the power of it and how much we need it. And, oh, God, I pray you would move in hearts today to yield their heart to you. Father, I pray for those who are believers who have left the race. They have walked away, and I pray, oh, God, they'd get right back in. Oh, God, I want to be changed into the image of Christ. I want to experience what life was meant to be, love, joy, peace, long-suffering. I want all of the fruit of the Spirit in my life. God, keep being at work in me, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.